Okay, hello. I want to start by saying that we're on the uh, traditional unceded and stolen territories of the Coast Salish people, uh, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. And we need to continue to understand the truth of, of the history of Indigenous people and chart a course towards reconciliation for ourselves and for our organization. Welcome to the Strongest Steel podcast. I think we're on episode three uh, and really excited to be doing it. I will start by introducing myself. I'm Scott Lunny. I'm the director for District 3 of the Steelworkers. And uh, with me here in the district office, I have... Hi there. I'm Jason Little. I'm a national staff rep. And over to the online guests. I'm Jeff Bromley. I'm the Wood Council Chair for the uh, Steelworkers for the Forest uh, uh, Industry Locals across Canada. And I'm coming in from the tr tr traditional territory, the Tanaha speaking peoples in Cranbrook, British Columbia. Um, I'm Katie Crane. I am, well, I guess, Financial Secretary of uh, Local 1423 out of Kelowna. And uh, it is the unceded traditional lands of the Okanagan Nation. Awesome. So um, before we get started in talking about uh, collective bargaining, which is what we're going to talk about today, I did just want to say we were um, recently at the Women of Steel Conference, the International Women of Steel Conference, and I was really pleased to see uh, almost 60 delegates from District 3 uh, and uh, really uh, participating um, and enjoying themselves and, and learning a lot um, other than a bit of uh, illness. I think it was a successful conference and I uh, hope that none of the District 3 uh, delegates uh, came down with uh, any kind of uh, sickness from the conference. But uh, uh, really excited to see so many uh, delegates from, from Western and Northern Canada at the International Women of Steel Conference. Uh, I did want to acknowledge, um, which happened a, a bit ago, the, the passing of our international president, Tom Conway. Uh, Tom had uh, over 45 years of service to our union uh, and was a, a well-renowned uh, bargainer, strategist, uh, leader. Um, I actually got to meet Tom around 18 years ago when I was a, a, a new uh, staff guy from a merged union in Canada, and, and Tom took a good hour or so to chat with me. and. Uh, as the international vice president and and uh, get to know me and give me some advice. And obviously in the last couple of years, I've talked to, uh, had a lot of contact with Tom. Uh, it's um, sad, sad his passing and, and he will definitely be missed by our union. Um, I also want to uh, congratulate and, and say that we uh, unanimously swore in Dave McCall, who is the vice president as the president. So he's now the international president of our union. Um, Replacing him, the board uh, appointed Emil Ramirez, who's the director of District 11, uh, to be the vice president of administration. And then replacing Emil uh, on the international executive board is uh, Kathy Drummond as the District 11 director, who is the first uh, woman as a, a director on our international executive board, which... Um, only took 82 years, but uh, that's uh, progress in any event for our union, and uh, we're um, in, in, in good hands and in good shape moving forward uh, at the international level. Um, like I said, we're going to talk about bargaining, and so, you know, there's been lots of conversations about bargaining in the press, and 
people are saying year of the union and uh, hot union summer and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there's been some high profile uh, bargaining and labor disputes, the, the federal public service, longshoremen, the auto workers have been bargaining. Um, we had a, a, a big uh, national steel car round of bargaining and, and labor dispute uh, back east. And right now the Quebec public sector are um, embroiled in, in some difficult bargaining. In District 3 in Western and Northern Canada, our locals are constantly bargaining. There's uh, bargaining going on every day. There's uh, settlements every week. Uh, so we thought it would be good to have a few folks on who could talk about uh, some recent bargaining that's taken place in our union in District 3 and in, in Northern and Western Canada. And so that's what we're going to do. So um, we're going to, uh, we didn't actually rehearse this, so I don't know who's going to go first. Maybe Katie can go first and tell us a little bit about um, the bargaining and the labor dispute that took place in her local that she uh, recently resolved. Uh, do you just want me to ramble on or do you have some specific questions? You can ramble on a little bit at the start and then we might ask some questions. I don't know. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. It's probably not a good idea. That's when I <laughs> tend to swear the most. Um, <clears throat> All right. There, just, there is no delay on this. So, you know, what you say might be recorded. That's fine. Um <laughs> So, yeah, um, we started bargaining with uh, Rockwell in Grand Forks. And just for people who don't know, uh, Rockwell is a multinational corporation that produces insulation uh, made out of rocks, hence the name Rockwell. It's actually a really amazing product, which if you ever buy any in your local hardware store is very expensive. Um they have two operations in Canada, uh, one in Milton, Ontario. They're unionized, not through us. And um, the other is here in Grand Forks. And that's the one that we deal with. And so, yeah, so we started bargaining. I think we did a proposal exchange at the end of May and uh, bargained throughout June. There was a lot of delays on the company's side uh, when it came to setting dates. Um, they hired a consultant for the first time to help them with bargaining. I know uh, Scott and uh, Jeff are somewhat familiar with this fella. Uh, I did actually hear an HR uh, manager from another company refer to him as the McDonald's of negotiating. So I thought that was pretty Pretty can, fitting. Can um, you hear our eye rolls on that? We were rolling yeah, our eyes, yeah. both Jeff and I. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if the company will use them again, but yeah. So it was a pretty long process. Um, there was a lot of uh, feelings of disrespect in the sense that the employer, you know, other than having dates set aside for June, had no other kind of inclination to set more time aside for bargaining. Um, they get offered, like end of June, they offered some more dates in September, um, which didn't sit well with the crew, which is how we got the strike vote. Um, eventually managed to get some more dates. Uh, I'm trying to think. We did file 72-hour notice I believe in July, 
and uh, they filed uh, for mediation. Uh, so we agreed to enter into mediation. Unfortunately, couldn't get anywhere with that. Uh, did get a kind of final offer, but not official final offer through the board that we took to the crew. It got rejected. And shortly after that, we uh, refiled 72 hour notice and they went out in August 25th. And then they were on strike for seven weeks. Uh, we eventually got an MOA that ratified October 14th. And so I think uh, this is the second week that they've been back to work. So, cool. yeah. And they got a pretty good deal, I understand. Uh, yeah, they had to be on strike for seven weeks to get it. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a three-year deal, 13% uh, uh, wage increases just on the wages um, over three years. So six, four, and three. And they got a $4,000 signing bonus, which now we have some grievances filed on that. Um, and some other increases to some of the premiums and things like that. And a lot of uh, language improvements. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, we're going to, I'm going to get Jason to talk a little bit about uh, his bargaining at Rogers and then get Jeff to talk a little bit about the uh, forest industry bargaining. And then we'll have a bit more discussion about ev everyone's uh, experiences. So maybe over to Jason. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. Um, so as I uh, said, when I introduced myself, I, I'm assigned out of the national office to national locals which is generally federal uh, regulated locals. So Rogers, TELUS, we have membership uh, uh, through those organizations. Recently, we came out of a uh, TELUS round of bargaining, which took over 18 months, and it uh, presented its own problems because it's a national local, whereas Rogers is a centralized mainly in the lower mainland. And uh, it is primarily a group of craft folks, so technicians that go into people's homes, businesses, and they're responsible for the infrastructure that uh, provides everything from your internet, your home phone, your television, even to your cellular devices. So this is the group I'm working with is a, uh, a tenured group. They're very educated, very engaged. Uh, as we know, uh, Engagement is a key aspect to uh, getting a good collective agreement. Um, some of the challenges that we've had to navigate uh, through this was the Rogers-Shaw acquisition or merger, whatever we're calling it. So it did delay bargaining by a few months. Uh, and then once we finally got to the table, we had this history of uh, and a relationship with Shaw, and then we had the unknown aspect with uh, this new employer coming in. So we didn't know who was really navigating the conversation at the table, whether it was Shaw or Rogers. Ultimately, this uh, group recognizes that um, there was two things that were the utmost importance, uh, job security, uh, navigating this new employer, and obviously uh, wages or compensation. So we've been at the table now for 
uh, quite a while. Uh, we have issued notice uh, of job action uh, as of uh, five days ago. Our, our first uh, initiation for job action was an overtime ban. So overtime would would stop people from uh, attending call-outs if there's outages after hours. We are meeting back at the table on this Wednesday, or coming up on November 1st, I should say. Um, and we hope to get a deal done. Uh, the employer has recognized the challenges that they have to overcome of a united membership, an educated membership, and a membership that is really, really um, emphatic that they would like job security with this new employer. They're the ones that have built and maintained this infrastructure for over a couple of decades. And those are the challenges that this new employer has to face in dealing with us. Cool. Thanks, Jason. Yeah. I think you're you're giving away that we're, when we're when we're recording this by throwing dates in there, but yeah. Whoopsie. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, Jeff, uh, can you just give us a little bit of a update on where you're at in the BC forest industry bargaining? A uh, couple things first. So BC and Alberta actually has been uh, with the two operations. We have two large operations in Alberta. I'll start there in local one two zero seven. Um, bargaining. We reached a deal up in the toll cool high level mill to really large sawmill, about 330 members earlier in a couple of months ago. Um, a, good op a, a good deal, but 13% uh, over five years. So not a bad deal, but $4,000 up front, positives, uh, improvements on benefits and improvements to uh, uh, things like boots and, and, and some good language that we've negotiated, all improvements. But we have, we ran into a a similar theme that I'll kind of uh, I'll discuss as we as we move into BC bargaining is that expectations of members are extremely high in the forest industry, in the in the two jurisdictions. Um, but uh, uh, it seems like the employer's done enough just to keep the uh, members somewhat satisfied, but not enough. Where in Katie's case, where her members were not satisfied with a, with some some good numbers and needed to go on strike to get more. And I found the opposite when push came to shove up in uh, high level Alberta, um, our members were right at the edge and didn't step off to go on strike. They decided to kind of hold their nose and and ratify um, the, uh, the 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 MOA. Um, in we're, we're, the same thing happened to us or is happening to us in Warehouser Drayton Valley uh, last week and or two weeks ago, in fact, um, where the employer actually finaled us final offered us uh, and uh, the locals decided to take it back to the members. Uh, a very similar deal to the Tokal operation. Um, and then it, it, it's it's an exercise in jurisdictions because in Alberta, it's a little bit different in terms of trying to, you, you can't go, you got to go to mediation. There's cooling off periods. Um, it, it's a little bit more of a song and dance under the um, labor code in Alberta than it is in, in BC where things are a little bit easier to maneuver. Um, in the forest industry, in the interior of British Columbia, 5,000 members north uh, and south and uh, their collective agreement was up June 30th of this year, and we've been bargaining since uh, May uh, of this year. And it's been really slow, and the employer has actually come uh, to the table with concessions and uh, and actually is refusing, to this point, we've gone back and forth, they're refusing to uh, to table a wage offer. Um, we've fully exchanged, and, and, uh, and they've fully exchanged everything uh, except for a wage offer, and so, We've actually had to resort to legal options to try and force them to to table a, a, a wage offer. It's like they're trying to just 
prolong it and prolong it and prolong it and and maybe that our members will you know either get sick of waiting or get frustrated and uh and maybe because right now we're looking probably at the new year before we even get back to the table we've got um in the way the structure is set up with the north and the south they're two different entities the associations that bargain for the employers and then in the north there's also seven independent operations that we have to bargain them to the impasse the same way i mean so the plan is to try and get to every uh operation and every association at the same point of bargaining before taking different strategies such as a strike vote or getting a mandate from the members so a bit of a frustrating time in the bc side of things um members have been pretty clear that their uh, their expectations are high as all mem- our members are across western canada i think but in terms of uh in terms of duration of collective agreement the last Two have been five-year collective agreements in BC's forest industry, and the members were pretty clear that that was too long. And it was exampled by the dizzying highs that we've seen for the lumber products during the last five years, during the pandemic. Twice, uh, the prices for lumber went through the roof, and we weren't we haven't been able to capitalize on that leverage uh, in bargaining when the, the commodity is that high. Right now, the, the lumber is is kind of in the doldrums. Um, there's been lots of uh, downtime by a lot of the operations in the uh, interior of BC, and that's kind of spooked the members as well. Uh, and so it's really tough identifying our leverage points in the BC bargaining right now. So we're kind of uh, we're, we're kind of just moving forward to see if we can uh, um, at least force them to get to the table with our wage offer to see where we sit. Um, but right now, it's pretty frustrating times in BC's interior forest industry. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, I, I had a, wanted to just ask a few questions, and y'all can ask each other questions too um, to get the discussion going. But uh, I just, uh, you know, Jason mentioned that. Uh, the, the employer knew that the members were solid and, and united. Katie, did you think the company expected your folks to, you know, vote down a couple contract offers and go out on strike? Or do you think it was a surprise to them? I do think it was a surprise. Um, Cause let's face it, while we might in our bargaining get very good, uh, strike vote numbers. Um, We know that the membership generally will give us those numbers as a bargaining chip, but if they actually have to go on strike, they won't do it or they don't want to. And I think that um, the employer in Rockwell's case, I don't think that they were expecting it. Yeah. At all. And were your folks that solid go going in all the way or did they kind of solidify based on the how bargaining had gone and the their feelings about the company's offer and behavior no they were pretty solid like the whole way through um i have to give them all credit and it wasn't just like those core senior guys that maybe are in a good financial position to be off work like there was a lot in the junior and kind of middle seniority list that were like f this you know uh a lot of it and i think the high expectations that jeff mentioned I think a lot of it is coming from what uh, CPI was in the last couple of years. Like, and you know, like nationally, the government, when they calculate the CPI, doesn't include things like fuel and groceries. However, if you look on the provincial, like BC, 
uh, government, they do calculate that. So the CPI for BC is actually slightly higher than what the federal government calculates. So if you're looking at like CPI of like 7% or whatever, like a 2% wage increase isn't enough anymore. And that's what the employees were seeing. And also in this particular industry, they were really busy, which is why they were so insulted by what the employer was offering. And uh, yeah, they were really solid through throughout. Yeah, definitely. Like there's some people that want to still be on strike right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at the picket line, I don't know, a month a month in, and they were yeah. they were pretty solid. Uh, yeah. And that's that was a month into the dispute. So um, yeah. The, the, Definitely. And affordability for sure is one of the, you know, main issues, I think, across uh, across every bargaining table that we're at. Um, I think for I this one, traditionally, like their numbers had been slightly lower in past bargaining because it's a small town and cost of living is usually cheaper. But, you know, as everybody saw, like housing and um, <clears throat> even rent has gone up. And even in the small town like Grand Forks, like... It's insane. I've looked at housing prices there and, you know, you might as well be moving to Kelowna for what yeah. they're asking there. Yeah, for sure. And then and, and thank you for um, saying F this and not spelling it out. Um, Jason, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd be curious, I guess, from uh, our guests, uh, some of the challenges that we've come across as far as engaging our members and keeping that solidarity rock solid. Uh, tell us in its own uh, thing is a national local, so it pre presents a geographical nightmare trying to engage people. Uh, people don't go into the factories anymore. They're either home dispatched or they work in remote sites and things like that. The Rogers group that we're bargaining right now, a lot of them, same thing, home dispatched, so you don't, they don't come to a central location anymore. And some of the things that we, we built our CAT team structures, our communication action team structures through the Building Power program. And uh, we found a lot of successes uh, in not only navigating some of the um, misconceptions about the bargaining process, but also uh, using it as an engagement tool to build solidarity and keep people rock solid on the line. I'm just wondering if Jeff or Katie, you've uh, had to deal with any similar challenges of keeping that solidarity, especially Katie, uh, after seven weeks of being out on strike. Go ahead, Katie. Uh, yes and no. Um, luckily for me, it's one site, right? Uh, however, not everybody lives in Grand Forks. There are people who live in Midway or Greenwood or, you know, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, like having um, the one benefit is because it is a small town, um, it's easier to get communication out there. We set up... Um, uh, bargaining email like information really early uh, in the year uh, before we even started bargaining. We send out surveys and stuff like that like and so people could join and actually through the strike more and more people were sending in their email because that's how we get a lot of information out and luckily for me the bargaining committee and I cannot credit them enough for what they did during the strike. They were there every single day like every day. And we were running 24 seven picketing. 
and they were communicating with every crew every single day, letting them know, hey, nothing's happening. We have, you know, the company, we're still waiting on the employer. So that kept a lot of it. Obviously, there's always going to be negative people, uh, people who didn't want to be on strike in the first place. I give some of them huge credit because there were a number that I know that were quite honest. They didn't want to go on strike in the first place. But once they were there, any feedback I got from them was like very positive. They weren't super negative, like, you know, like they were a pleasure. And when I saw them, I thanked them all just for being positive and not like having that negativity. Uh, the most negativity that I got was actually from people who um, felt that the union was selling them out. Uh, we should have held out for 20% in the first year. Uh, um, or one per one individual that actually accused the union of bargaining in bad faith. Um, so that was fun. I, and it was all handled very well, I think by, like I said, by the committee there. And, uh, I think about forest industry and in our local, cause we have a number of sites and they're all over the place. And, you know, me having to be in Grand Forks, um, you know, every weekend, every week, I couldn't do it every day. I can only imagine with the number of like forest industry sites. And I've already told, uh, Pat, our, local president that if forestry does go on strike, um, I will be checking myself into the hospital. I'm not dealing with it. <laughs> like one single site with 160 people is more than enough for me to deal with. Um, I, I can do it with, you know, five, yeah. 600 people yeah. on multiple areas. Yeah. So that's a segue to you, Jeff. I know you got uh, in the BC interior bargaining, you got four locals, um, and I don't know how many mills actually do. I don't know if you know that off the top of your but it's got, it's dozens and dozens of mills that are covered by that bargaining. So, you know, that must be a real challenge for even just as you're bargaining, engaging with the members and communicating out to the membership. Well, it's a massive challenge in terms of, and Katie, to your, just at your point, Katie, I thought you did a fantastic job. And so we're prepping for you in case we do need you uh, <laughs> if something happens. So you're going to be leading the way, just so FYI. So you're not checking into no hospitals yet. Well, we're but, keeping um, the account open just good, in case. Just in case. Yeah. Um, but you're right, Scott, in terms of the dynamic from a standalone operation, about 165 members, um, you know, so they're in the, the, the town that they are and or maybe just on a couple of adjoining towns with the main table pattern bargaining that we do um, or association bargaining with the BC interior industry. Um, it, to your question, about 35 operations um, total, uh, north and south, about just under 5,000 members. Uh, four locals, um, and uh, like I said, there's seven independent uh, operations that are independent collective agreements, independent of the associations that represent the rest of them. And so communication is, we, we, we do a pretty good job, I think. The locals do a pretty good job of maintaining their uh, their 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 text alerts, um, their uh, websites up, and communicating with their local chairs and, and through their executive boards and et cetera. Um, the, I think the issue that we are faced with in the BC interior, I think bluntly, um, we haven't been on strike in generations, uh, age and full of generations. And Scott, you'll remember this. I mean, even me, I've been in the industry since 1994. That was some eight years past the 1986 uh, province-wide strike that was in that the interior of BC, not 
to be confused with the coastal industry. The coastal industry has been on strike three times since that time. But the interior of BC, there hasn't been an interior-wide strike since 1986. So we have, uh, I would say, a majority of our membership that is, I'm 54, so it's probably right around my age and younger, that have never been on strike. And, and that is, I mean, being on strike, uh, as Katie can attest to, it's difficult and, and it's stressful to members. But um, if you've never done it or if you don't have any connection to it, it is a completely new thing and important. And it's important to try and communicate that, you know, that how we do it or what works or what, what doesn't work. And, and it's extremely difficult in, in terms of our situation with the BC-wide forestry industry bargaining and the length it takes. Members get frustrated. Why is it taking so long? Why is it taking so long? Because what the industry does, they play a little silly bugger and, you know, they'll, oh, we're not available here. We're available there. And the, 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 this, the four different entities um, tend to rag the puck a little bit, right? So it's, it is certainly trying. I mean, we're going to make through it. We've made through it. it was, you know, on the flip side to that not being on strikes in 86, we've had nine collective agreements, 10, maybe 10 actually, that have we've been successful in and, and making good gains. Um, but uh, it is going to be, it is difficult when you're faced with what's our brothers and sisters in the coastal industry at Western Forest Products in 2019, when you're faced with concession bargaining like they were faced with, attacks on their pension, uh, attacks on their contracting out language, etc. Um, a seven and a half month strike uh, is something that uh, they've got lots of experience. They're battle tested for lack of a better word of membership. Our membership, we, it's, we need to educate, educate and educate um, if we get to that point. Now, do I see it come to that point? I don't think that we're going to be faced with concessions that's going to uh, force our membership down a road, which I believe is an easier way to fight. I, I think it's going to be just a little, they're going to give us enough to maybe hold our nose and take it. But there are lots of members out there that want that their ex, like their ex, expectations are really high. And, and whether or not we're going to be able to meet them, uh, those expectations is certainly difficult. Yeah. The, the beauty um, of our structure is the members get to vote, right? So Yeah. And, and I should say that uh, just for numbers, for our local, there are seven certifications in forest industry. In the, in the interior bargaining. Okay, cool. Just in our local yeah, alone. Yeah, there's, three, That's there's not, three other locals, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so one thing is uh, communication is obviously uh, a major component to engaging our members, and it's a fine ba balance. Everybody wants to know what's happening in the room, what's happening at the table, right? But there might be some strategy built around building engagement and messaging to the members, because obviously the employers will see our messages that we're sending to our members, right? One of the things that uh, Local 1944 tried to do, and uh, I strongly encourage uh, the, uh, any local, if they could uh, afford it, is to pull off a full-time engager, one that can be in constant contact with the members through the CAT team structure and make phone calls for uh, on behalf of the bargaining team if necessary, because Jeff and Katie, you're obviously very busy, and myself at the table, uh, dealing with members one-on-one -on -one could be a difficult or a tall task, but the tried and true is always talking to our members, uh, engaging in, with them, uh, because I think when they you ask our members who's looking out for their best interests, obviously, uh, I don't think they're going to point to the employer. They're going to point to their union. Yeah, for sure. And that, that's one of the questions I had, too, about um, out there bargaining. If... Uh, like how the employers are approaching 
bargaining right now because you know they they know too that for the most part they've been making money for the most part their employees are falling behind but you know you hear in in jeff's circumstance they're actually asking for concessions and um in katie's circumstance they're they're uh you know it takes seven weeks of a labor dispute for them to cough up a couple extra percent um you know do you think that employers are prepared to bargain in these times or do you think they're just kind of winging it I think they're all going to the same bargaining 101 workshop because there were things that came from the employer with Rockwell that I'm now hearing that the uh, forest industry uh, employers are saying, like the whole, uh, until we deal with our issues, like you guys have too many things on the table, you need to take some of them off. We need to deal with X, Y, Z of our stuff before we talk about any of your stuff. I got the same thing months ago from Rockwell. They did the same thing. That was all like, man, union, you have too many things on your on your wish list, and we aren't, we're not going to talk about them anymore, you know. And it's like, uh, just because you don't want to talk about them doesn't mean that we're going to like pull them off. So, uh, I I think maybe they're like getting the same education recently. Um, we'll just see how forest industry goes. Yeah, I know. I know your consultant does training, so maybe uh, maybe they've been going to his <laughs> his training in Kelowna or wherever it is. Um, I don't know what your experience is, Jason. I know you do some other bargaining other than 1944 as well. So. Yeah, so generally employers like the tit for tat approach. Um, we'll give you this if we and you give us that. Um, I don't think there's a cost for job security, and right now the labor market being the way it is, people like to have the stability of a good paying job that provides decent benefits. And that's what um, you know unions obviously strive for with their members. With this Rogers bargaining that we're in in particular, they're coming after long established jurisdictional language that would erode the job security of our members. And our members just know that that uh, is of the utmost importance and they just won't stand for it. So I think uh, employers are behaving in the ways that they always have. But I think um, what's surprising them is that the public outcry over this, uh, and you'll see, you're seeing it right across the country with unions and members standing up en masse, they're tired of these corporations reaping these huge, massive profits off the backs of our members. They're just sick of it now, and they're not going to stand for it. Uh, if there's a piece of the pie, it should be shared with the uh, the members and the workers right across, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Uh, the time to do that, I think, is now. People are sick and tired of it. I, I, I was going to go around and say, did anyone have any like closing comments as we wrap up? But I think that was Jason. So maybe Jeff, do you got anything else you want to say? Uh, just to to your point about whether or not the the employers the approach they're taking, I think they're it's a concerted approach, as Katie mentioned, but they're also doing um, you know stuff like I think they're hurting themselves. We're in the forest industry in particular. I know it's across a lot of industries, but we're having trouble attracting folks to keep and stay, retain, retain and uh, and retain these folks and, and keeping them in the industry. And one of the some of the concessions that we're faced with in the North, they're going after tried and true language that was negotiated in 1958. 
um, about accepting layoffs or or if you if you're in a bumping situation or bumping like a choice and some real good language that we've had in our uh, in our collective agreements for decades and decades. Uh, in the south, it's going after um, scheduling, alternate alternate shifting, and they want the ability to just plunk in this shift, give you two weeks notice and say, by the way, you're on seven on seven off or whatever the case may be. And in the South, we have some good language that controls that. And so that, and, and I keep referring to them saying, listen, you have trouble fo- attracting folks to your industry, to the mills to work in the first place, making them work weekends all the time or making them work goofy schedules, stuff where they can't be part of their community. They, you know, they're away from their families or, and stuff like that is not, is not conducive to, to attracting folks into our industry. And so I think they're, they're biting off their nose despite their face sometimes in terms of this approach, but they, because uh, I know that in the mills, we're running bare bones. Our, our members are we're shorthanded sure. all the time, and uh, and they're they're just not seeing enough to to improve that. And so, to your point, Jason, we're faced with the same sort of concessions. Longstanding approach to to attacks on language has been around and worked as worked, but they want something. They want more, right? Okay. Cautiously, I ask Katie if you have any last comments. <laughs> See, I've been doing so okay so far. Uh, I haven't dropped any F-bombs that I can recall. Um, I would say that, yes, I think there's a theme. Uh, It's definitely profits over people. Um, I think that people are, or workers are tired of it. I think what's helping uh, give that kind of empowerment uh, to workers everywhere, it doesn't matter what sector, whether union or non-union, is the fact that there are jobs everywhere right now. And so these employers that, yeah, sure, the mills, Rockwell, good paying jobs with benefits and stuff, but why do you want to do that and not be valued as an employee when you can just go somewhere else because other people are hiring and it's maybe less stress. So that's where I think companies kind of, these corporations really need to think a little bit more. And if they, instead of just doing the lip service of we value our employees and I think Tolko was like family values as part of their mission statement, you know, like don't spout all of this bullshit and then not actually do what you say. Um, So that's where people are getting sick and tired of it. That's where you're seeing more solidarity. That's where you're seeing people saying, no, we'll go on strike and we'll be on a picket line. And until people like figure it out and, and the employer like takes us seriously and, you know, like, sorry that, you know, instead of, you know, the 300 billion annual profit, you might make 250 because you might have to give your employees something. I will say that trying to do a ratification on an MOA when, uh, you know, uh, the auto industry gets like a 10% in the first year uh, wasn't helpful <laughs> for the for our September ratification vote that failed, that was like the same day that uh, they announced it, the auto industry one with Ford, I think. Um, so that kind of sunk it. But um, yeah, I, it was a good uh, learning experience, I have to say. I don't wish uh, job action on anyone, but there were a number of things that I learned, and I will start putting together a manual to... Uh, 
help out like my successors in our local because unfortunately uh, we haven't in our local hadn't been on strike in probably 15 years. So there's nobody in my office that had actively like been a BA during job action. So yeah. Yeah. That's great. Oh, that's a good idea to prepare your successor. Okay. Any more extra last words? Solidarity works. Yeah. It always does. For sure. Okay. So we're going to wrap up. Um, oh, sorry. I got to look over here. We're going to wrap up. I, I just wanted to thank the three of you uh, for for joining us today, uh, Jason, Katie, and Jeff, but, but also thank you for um, what you do, what you do, and what you've been doing, uh, helping our members and uh, leading bargaining teams, and and working to get our members good collective agreements. Um, I I forgot at the start to acknowledge our our technical folks. We got Tyler and Dave behind there, I think, and uh, and Brett uh, Barden uh, who are helping us put all this together. And sorry for not acknowledging you at the front doing a good job. Um, and also, this is our November podcast, and I should have acknowledged uh, our veterans. Uh, Remembrance Day is this month. Uh, please uh, take the time to acknowledge our veterans. And if you are a steelworker who is a veteran, please uh, come forward and, and uh, participate in Veterans of Steel at our last uh, international convention we uh, made veterans of steel committees a mandatory committee for every local union uh, we've got a group uh, at the district uh, a, a quite um, active group at the district that's uh, that's been meeting and doing veterans of steel stuff um, I did want to do uh, one thing so I don't know if this will work I'm putting a toque on uh, that is from USW 1944 Took and uh, I, that is because we kind of stole their podcast name. Uh, they started like a little bit of an upstart podcast a couple of years ago, and uh, uh, they had one really good episode, right? That that uh, Jason and I were on, um, and uh, we. I, I was reminded that we stole their name. It wasn't trademarked, uh, so but Strong as Steel was what they called their podcast. So I just wanted a shout out, uh, homage to 1944 and the original Strong as Steel podcast. Um, please. Uh, if this is your first time listening or watching um, thank you and I hope you enjoyed it and uh, come again to uh, to the Strongest Steel podcast if, if you're a repeat listener thank you very much bring a friend next time we're not quite trending um, but but we're working on it uh, and uh, follow us on social media USW District 3 on uh, X Instagram and Facebook and if you have questions we may start like answering taking questions and answering some questions on the podcast moving forward so I think comms like c-o-m-m-s at uswca hmm Oh, D3 comms. Okay. Sorry. D3, D3 comms at usw.ca. And you can uh, give us some questions and uh, we'll try and answer them on a future podcast or comments or feedback, positive feedback only. So again, thanks everyone for uh, joining us on the Strong as Steel podcast and we'll see you next time.